Good morning. My name is Peter Herzog. I'm one of the elders here and uh, very excited to be giving the message this morning, speaking to you this morning. Uh, I want to give you a brief weather update. Uh, the picture behind me I think is a good example of what we live with as Minnesotans. We often say Minnesota's got it all, all the seasons, right? But what I've been thinking about this morning is Minnesota sometimes tries to do it all at the same time. <laughs> we don't do transitions well. We just do it all, right? We got green grass. We got green trees. We got colorful trees. We got snow. We just do it all at once. I love it. But it also means this. We're entering into a season where in my family and with some of my friends, there's this great debate, very, very critical debate, debate that happens weekly, maybe daily. It can frustrate me sometimes when I'm a part of this experience. And it has to do with the climate control in my vehicle or any vehicle I'm in. And it's this. When a car is cold and it has a climate control where you can actually set the temperature, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to, one, philosophy number one, get in the car, turn it all the way up, because that is the fastest way to warm up the car. Or philosophy number two, the one that all the smart people subscribe to, is that you just leave it alone. It's, amen. It's set to 70. The car knows you want it to be 70. The engineer, she designed the thing to actually get to 70 as soon as possible. Leave it alone. I can see the divide in the room. <laughs> My friends, well, I have one friend. Well, no, I have lots of friends, but one of my friends, English is hard, one of my friends is my wife, and we have different philosophies when it comes to this. So I decided this year I'm going to cut it off at the pass, and I created a video to prove my point, and I want to show you the video now. Hey, Joy, I know we've had a little bit of a disagreement over <clears throat> how to manage the thermostat in the car. Um, so, you know, what I thought I would do, because I love you, is just do a little experiment. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to run uh, the car two times, um, from cold to hot, and just going to show, like, what, uh, you know, which one's faster and uh, um, let's just see, you know, like, is it faster if you crank it up or is it faster if you just leave it at the, the temperature you want it to be? So let's just let the truth, you know, be what's, what's important here, right? So I love you. At this point, I was very shocked. <laughs> Thirty eight minutes. 
Okay, so the car went from about 58 degrees to 70 in about 10 minutes on high. Um, you can delete this video. We have a request for the data. I will be sharing that afterward. We have a seminar. Does anyone want to buy a Honda Odyssey? Oh my gosh. So I thought this was an appropriate picture of what I think we're going through in the book of John, John chapter 5, where there is this debate over what the Sabbath is designed for. How you use the Sabbath. In the same way, there was like this, I had this strong opinion of how it should be used, and Joy's a strong opinion, or, mom, or my friends as well, and we had this, this uh, disagreement. There's also this disagreement between Jesus and the Jews over what the Sabbath is all about. In John chapter 5, which by the way, John chapter 5 verse 4, if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to John chapter 5 and take a look at that. John chapter 5 verse 4 is my most favorite, one of my most favorite verses of the Bible. Does anyone want to read it? Thank you for reading it. Go home and memorize John chapter 5, verse 4. It really explains the whole situation. But in John chapter 5, there is this disagreement between the Jews and, the, and Jesus over the Sabbath. Because what happens is, what happens is in, in John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. And then has him carry his mat and on his own on the Sabbath. And the Jews catch him and say, who told you to carry your mat? And he said, Jesus did. And then they get really upset because here Jesus did something on the Sabbath he, Sabbath he wasn't supposed to do. And then furthermore, he even says, he even starts to equate himself with God. So that in John chapter 5, verse, uh, let me see here really quick, verse 18, it says this was why the Jews were seeking to all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, in John chapter 5, 6, and 7, we are reaching a boiling point between Jesus and the Jews. They have a disagreement over the Sabbath, and they have a disagreement over what Jesus thinks about himself. Namely, that he's making himself equal with God. And then, in, verse, in chapter 6, Jesus starts to do some amazing miracles. Not starts to, but continues to do amazing miracles where he feeds the 5,000. Remember Paul spoke on that? Jesus walks on water. And then he begins to, he begins to call himself a greater Moses. He talks about the bread that comes from heaven and how the bread that came from heaven from Moses, it didn't sustain anyone longer than the day, but the bread that comes from heaven, which is Jesus, sustains for, eternal, for eternity, for eternal life. And so right there, Jesus is actually putting, putting himself up against Moses and calling himself a greater Moses. 
He's getting the Jews even more and more frustrated with him. And then he makes that, that one claim, that one statement, the, the teaching in here where he talks about in John chapter 7, verse 53. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And even his own disciples have a hard time with this teaching. So what I'm trying to say is there's a disagreement between Jesus and the Jews, and it's growing. It's growing. And in John chapter 7, it reaches a boiling point. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And actually, before we move on, I'd like to pray. Because we're going to look, at, we're going to look very closely at Jesus' words. And I want his words to come off this page and, and, and engage us and move in our hearts. I want him to use this time to do some deep work in us. So let's pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, come. You have the words of life. Speak to us, Lord, as we look at them. Help us to understand you better today, Lord. God, I pray you would overcome anything that's, that's distracting us today and your words would pierce like a knife. That's what, like the double-edged sword that, that you say scripture is, Lord. Just pierce through and change us, Lord. Make us more like you today. Help us understand you today. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it reaches this boiling point in chapter 7. In fact, towards the end of chapter 7, they're, they're, they're already trying to arrest Jesus at this point. They want to kill him. They're trying to arrest him. So we're just going to look at the first part this morning of John chapter 7. And I want to jump right to verse 17. So you're, you're really going to need your Bible this morning because I want you to look at the text. So if you have your, your phone or, or, or any Bible, if, if you need one, you can raise your hand and an usher will come around and get you one. Uh, you need, need the text this morning. John chapter 7, verse 17. I want to look at this passage because I think it's actually kind of confusing. I've wrestled with this verse where Jesus says this. John chapter 7, verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So at the face of that verse, there's a teaching Jesus is bringing to us. And it says this, to know truth, if we want to know truth, we have to do his will and then we'll know the truth. I find that counterintuitive. Do you? Because my Western way of thinking is this. You should first know the truth, like be exposed to the truth, be taught the truth, and then change. Change your perspective, change your will, change. change. But what Jesus is saying here is, if anyone's will is to do God's will, then he will know whether my teaching is true. He's saying you need to, you need to want God's will, and then you'll know the truth. You need to want what God wants, and then you'll know the truth. So I want to unpack this, that this morning. My prayer is that, that, that this passage will become more and more clear, more helpful as this sermon goes on this morning. Let's, let's back up a bit. In verse 3, actually, actually the very beginning, Jesus is, 
uh, finding himself in Galilee. So he's running around Judea. He's, getting, he's doing these miracles. He's teaching all these things, these controversial things. He's getting the Jews all upset. And then he goes to Galilee where things are a little bit calmer because the Jews that are so upset are not necessarily in this place. So Judea is south. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where a lot of religious activity is. That's where the Jews are. Jesus goes north to Galilee. Okay? <clears throat> and it says this in verse 1. Jesus went to Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths were at hand. This is a big festival going on in Jerusalem where they, they actually set these little tabernacles, these little booths all around. And they, it's an agricultural thing, a big, big festival that goes on throughout the week. And they uh, celebrate what God did in delivering them out of Egypt and how they were going through the wilderness and they would live in these little temporary tabernacles. So that's what this, the Feast of Booths is. And, and in, verse two, in verse three, it says this. So Jesus' brothers, by the way, his brothers, these are his brothers. Is, if you're Catholic and grew up Catholic, this might be a problem for you. Jesus had brothers? Really? He did. So his brothers said to him this. Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. No one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then verse 5, for not even his brothers believe in him. So his brothers' advice to him are like, Jesus, why are you in Galilee? You do these amazing miracles. Why are you in secret? If you're going to start a movement, if you want your disciples to follow you and get all excited about your power and what you can do, don't be in secret. You need to get out in the public. You need to show off your power. And it says in verse 5 that they didn't even believe in him. They did believe that he was a miracle worker. They saw that he could do miracles. They believed that. But they did not see Jesus for who he really was. And that's a clue to what we're about to talk about in the next few verses. Because what's very clear is that Jesus' brothers were very much into glory and self-glory. And in, in God's, in Jesus' case, he wasn't so much, he, his glory, and the way he saw glory was radically different from the way they saw glory. For example, in, in verse uh, I lost my spot. In, 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 uh, Jesus says, my time, in verse 6, sorry. In verse 6, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. So there's a, there's a divide here. There's a disagreement Jesus' brothers want him to go and show off his power. Start a movement. And Jesus is like, no, I am serving the will of another. My time has not yet come. Because behind this, behind this whole thing, is that Jesus' brothers are seeking glory. They're seeking self-glorification. And in Jesus' case, he's seeking the glory of God. And he's waiting for the timing of God before he does anything. And there's a disagreement here. There is a divide between the philosophy of self-glorification and the philosophy of glorifying God, and it's significant. My glory is not going to come the way you think. 
But he says, he makes a weird phrase like, the world cannot hate you. And the reason why the world cannot hate you is because his brothers are reflecting back what the world thinks. The world is all about self-glorification. The world's all about making much of yourself. The world's all about me. And so the world's like, yes, you're one of us. But Jesus, he's all about God glorification. He's all about giving God the glory, and that challenges. It it confronts the world, and therefore the world hates to be confronted. The world hates that challenge. And then in verse ten, it says this: His brothers went to the feast. His brothers go up to this, go to Jerusalem. They go up to they go to the feast there, Uh, and then Jesus actually went up as well. And I love this picture. I don't know exactly what he did, but it says that Jesus went to the feast in private. Like, he went secretly to the feast. Can you imagine Jesus, like, I don't know what he did, like, put a hood over his head, wore some sort of disguise, I have no idea. But Jesus, like, snuck into the festival and is, like, secretly hanging around in this festival. And it says this, the Jews were looking for Jesus at the feast, and they're like, where is he? Where's Jesus? You see, This is part of Jesus working out this desire to glorify God. His brothers would have been like, you know, you got to bust in that festival, show him who's boss, do some healings, do some amazing work. But Jesus is like, no, he goes in in secret. It's not about self-glorification. And then, verse 14, in the middle of the feast, Jesus went to the temple and started to teach. And you'll see here in a moment that Jesus actually teaches on the very things he was challenging his brothers on. That glorification piece. And the Jews were there and they marveled at his teaching. They said, how is it this man has learning when he's never studied? So the people there are hearing Jesus teach and they're amazed at his, his ability to teach. But they're not amazed at like the things he's saying, the spiritual truths he's bringing. They're amazed at his academic ability to teach. Do you get that? They're looking at the outside of the cup. They don't see the inside yet. They're, and that, that becomes more clear here in a second. They're like, how is it this man is, learn, is, is, is teaching us when he's never studied? And so Jesus answers the question. He says this, my teaching is not mine. This is verse 16. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And then here's our verse today. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. You see, Jesus does what he did to his brothers. His brothers want, got all excited about Jesus and what he could do, and Jesus deflects it. This is not my time. And then the crowd gets all excited. Jesus, you, you're an amazing teacher. And he deflects it, and he goes, this teaching is not mine. It's not mine, but it's from him who sent me. Look at verse 24. Skip your eyes down a little bit. Jesus makes this one statement that I think echoes throughout this entire teaching. It's this. Don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The world, the crowd, his brothers, they're all judging by appearances. This guy is amazing. Look at him teach. Look at him heal. What did he teach? I don't know. Why did he heal? I don't know. He's amazing. They're impressed with his power. They're impressed with what he can do. This guy is incredible. This is the way of the world. But Jesus says this, don't don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So let's go back to 17. 
this verse that I think is challenging to us a bit. It says this, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. It's such, I think it's such a weird response. It, it complicates things. It's mysterious. It's, it's not so rationalistic as our Western mindset is. Because it sounds like knowing truth is like this moral or spiritual thing. Not like me like going in my car and doing a, a, like a scientific you know, experiment to try, to try to get a truth. You have to do his will and then you'll know it. So, so let's just listen to Jesus. His, his teaching is this. If our desire is the same as God's desire, if our will is the same as God's will, if our passion is the same as God's passion, if our preferences are the same as God's preferences, then we will know and see Jesus. We will know whether he, his teaching is from God. But then... To, to just expand a little further, I want to look at the next verse because it kind of helps us a bit here. Verse 18 says this, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. In him there is no falsehood. I think this is helpful for us. Because the crowds are impressed, they're amazed at what Jesus can do. But when you take verse 17, which says, your desire, your will needs to be be for God's will. Your passions need to be for God's passions. And then verse 18 says this, and you need to seek God's glory, not your own glory. There's some clarification here what Jesus is teaching. Let's combine the two. Let's combine 17 and 18 and see if we can extract what Jesus is saying to us. In verse 18, he makes this bold statement, this. The one who seeks on, speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. They have a philosophy where they're all about their own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him, God, who sent him is true. In him there is no falsehood. So what Jesus is saying this is that we need, in verse 18, we need our desire to be for the glory of God. We need to be in this camp, this this perspective. We need our will changed in the deepest parts of our being where what we want is God's glory. We want God glorified. But I don't know about you, but if I'm honest with with you, and I want to be honest with you, it's this, I live in this world I often think about my own glory. I think about how this is going to reflect on me, how I'm going to look, how I'm going to make myself look good. I go into work. I go, I, I, I'm, I'm with people that I'm working with. I want to be glorified. I want to be shown that I'm talented, that I'm, that I'm able, that I'm competent. I want to blow people away. I'm interested in my own glory. And the question is, how much time do you spend over here where you're seeking God's glory, where you're, you're passionate about God getting the glory? How much time do you walk into work or, or walk into school or walk into uh, wherever you find yourself and you're praying, God, I want you to be glorified in, 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 all, in everything. And if I can help, if there's some way I can shine your light, show me how. Because 
deep down inside, at the core of my being, I want you glorified. Verse 18 talks about this deep change in us, this deep fundamental core, I can't think of another word, central change to our being where we want God to be glorified. And that's a shift from this, the self-glorification piece. You know, it's funny, I felt it even in this stupid video about the, about the climate control. Because I want it to be right. I'm serious. When I did that video, I thought I was right. And I could not wait to show it and prove it. But even this stupid video, I'm, and about this stupid climate control thing, like, I, I can feel something touched where it's like, I want to be glorified, and I wasn't. In fact, I'm humiliated. It, it like, runs deep. And Jesus, look, this looks like a really simple, maybe a kind of cliche Christian teaching to you. Maybe you looked at this. I mean, that's the kind of, when I read it, I kind of blew past it a few times. Until it really stood out that Jesus is the one who can say this. Like he's pushing past the Sabbath debate. He's pushing past all this stuff, that the, this teaching and his brothers. And he's going down to this. You, know, know, you want to know the core problem? The core problem is this. All you care about is glorifying yourself. And, and if you want to know the truth and you want to know what I'm really about, Jesus says you need to be over here. You need to desire the glorification of God. To see truth. To see me for who I really am. The indicator of that God's truth is coming out of someone's mouth is that they have this passion for God's glory over their own glory. And then to, to connect verse 17 with that, my will has to join God's will. I need to desire God's glory this is where it gets a little tough for me to fully understand. But also, my desires and my passions and my preference need to join with God's will. I, I have to will God's glory over mine, and I have to want what God wants. And this is not natural. We see it in the brothers. They want Jesus to go out and just shine and start this movement. We see it in the crowd. They're amazed at his ability to teach, but they weren't really into what he was teaching. They were just amazed that he could teach. And it's in me. In this passage, we see this, that, we, that when Jesus wasn't endorsing the way they kept Sabbath, they got mad. Stop, think about this for a second. Jesus heals a man, his whole body heals a man, and they're mad because he did it on the Sabbath. And Jesus pulls this whole section out. Look, at, in, in verse uh, twenty. 21, he said this, I did one work, <laughs> healed this man, and you marvel at it. And then he says in verse 2, but guess, listen, Moses gave you circumcision, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Okay, stop for a second. So you, you need to, you, you had, according to the law, you had to circumcise a baby on the eighth day. And even if it fell on the Sabbath, the custom was you still did it. And they have this, like, this perspective of the, the lighter and the heavier truths, and they would choose the heavier one over the lighter one. So in this case, the common practice was to choose circumcision over Sabbath, right? So Jesus is pointing this out. He's like, look, Moses 
Moses gave you circumcision, verse 22, and you circumcise a man the Sabbath. And then he says this in verse 3. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? <laughs> How can you be upset about a whole body being made well than, the, than one little piece of a body following the law? It's a heart issue. And when Jesus doesn't endorse how they do their Sabbath, how they follow the law, how they keep the law, they get angry. And the reason why they get angry is because of this fundamental issue that they are seeking their own glory. It's a jump. It's a leap. It takes a moment to think about. But I'm starting to see more and more Jesus saying that underneath all that anger, in this weird thing about the law and Sabbath and circumcision and healing, underneath all of that stuff, is the problem of self-glorification versus God-glorification. You see, they're saying this, if, if, if Jesus doesn't support my, the way I handle Sabbath, if Jesus, Jesus doesn't support the way I keep the law, look, I'll support his miracles, or maybe I want to kill him. That's kind of the two options. Like, yeah, I'll support what he's doing, he's powerful, he's cool. Or, or no, no, we need to get rid of him. Those are kind of the two options. But it's not this option, the option of, I will know him. You will not be able to know Jesus. You might be able to support his miracles. You might be on the side that wants to kill him, but you won't be on the side that says, I know him. I know Jesus. I believe in him. And what Jesus is saying to us is that we need our will transformed so that we can know him. And if our will doesn't change, either you'll hate Jesus, want to kill him, or you'll admire him for the wrong reasons. I'm aware of perhaps people in this room or people that, you're, that you know who don't, who know of Jesus, who know of their amazing, you know, the, the, the claims of Jesus, the, the power, the words that we sing, yet they, you can see in them they don't know Jesus. Perhaps it's you. You know the church, you know the truth about, you know the Bible, yet there is this gap between you and God. And what Jesus is saying here is this deep blockage is not necessarily intellectual, but it's a volitional thing. It's about the, your, your will. You see, by nature, I'm, I'm, control, I, I'm controlled by a, a desire for self-glory. But I need to be transformed to where I want God's glory so that I can then see all of his truths, all of his treasures, all of his power, and see him for who he really is. The reason why they, they approved of circumcision, not a healing, was because, and, and that and it was Jesus saying this, because I stood, because I stand for the heart of the law. Jesus says, the reason why you're upset about circumcision over healing or healing over circumcision is this, is that I'm standing for the heart of what the law is about. The law is about restoration. The law is about glorifying God. And you're making the law into something where you're glorified. You're making the law a servant to your own glory. Jesus is saying, you're upset with me because my whole way of living to, to glorify God contradicts your way of life. 
That's why you're upset. That's why you can't know me. And you can't know me until your will is to do God's will. Until you want God to be glorified with your, with your whole being. So let's wrap this up. Because I, I kind of wonder what, maybe perhaps where you're at today with this. And I want to just give four things to consider this morning. Number one, I want you to realize that your heart and your will is the deepest obstruction to understanding who Jesus is. This isn't, this isn't a reason problem, it's an intellectual, intellectual problem, it's a will problem. This is what Jesus is teaching us this morning. It's a will problem. Our natural love for our own glory, this side, our natural love for our own glory makes it impossible to know and follow a person whose whole life is bent on emptying himself to glory God and save sinners. You will not recognize this person if you're over here. You will not know him because they're fundamentally running on a different operating system. To know this person, the person who wants to glorify God, we need to not only change our ideas about God, we need to change our will, our desires. That's why in John 3.16, it talks about being born from above, this internal transformation in us. The second thing is this. You need to pray and ask that God would do this work in you. Pray that your love for God's glory would overcome the love for your own glory. Remember that Jesus, Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, he says, hallowed be your name. Does your will say that? Does your will leap when you hear that? You need to pray for a will that deeply desires God's name to be hallowed throughout the world. Not your name, God's name. And you need to pray that you are less and less addicted to your own glory. Third thing is this, study. You need to increase your taste for God's glory. I mean, this is simple. If, if you want to understand alternative 90s rock or, uh, or the music of Taylor Swift or Drake, I don't know Drake, but whatever, like you need to study him. Study his lyrics, study his music. Understand it. If you want to develop a taste for it, you need, to, you need to study it, consume it. If you want to develop a love for a certain series on Netflix or, a, or the Marvel Comics movies, you need to in, invest yourself in it. To, we know this. How many times have you heard this? Like, I'm in this great series on Netflix right now. It takes a little while to get started. You need to get, like, for, first three episodes are a little slow, but once you're there, you're hooked. It's the same perspective here. If you want to develop a love for creation, buy a telescope. Study the stars. And if you want to love the glory of God above all other glories, then you need to study God and spend time with your family of, of God and listen to God and look to God and gaze and gaze and gaze at the, rest of, at the revelation of God's glory. So you develop a taste in it. And the last thing is this. Know that Jesus is true. Jesus here is modeling. He's not speaking for himself or for his own glory. He's modeling to us how he speaks for God. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He bears a true witness that he is the word and was with God from the beginning and was God. And he says this, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And he is true and you can trust him. Let's pray.
get the worship team to come up at this point, and we're going to continue to worship. But Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. Help us to see Jesus for who he really is. Help us to see God for who he really is. Where our, our wills and our desires are often self-centered. And I hear you loud and clear right now in this, these passages where you're saying, that's a problem. It's going to block you. I hear you saying that to us, God. And so, God, where there is a blockage, where, where our desires for our own wills, our desire for our own glorification, where that is blocking us from seeing the truth, where that's blocking us from seeing you who for you who seeing you for who you really are. Holy Spirit, come and remove that blockage. Show us how our desire for our own glory is getting in the way, is is causing us to not hear you or see you. Lord, this story of a long time ago, far, far away, where someone was upset over a healing on the Sabbath, that thing, that, whatever that is, that can happen here in, in the 21st century. We can have the same sort of attitudes where we don't make sense in our anger. And, it, and you're saying to us, Lord, it's foundationally because we, be, we want to be self-glorified. God, help us to have a desire for your glory. Change us from the inside out. Help us to see your truth. God, thanks for your your amazing grace and how you came to earth and died on the cross and, and gave us such a hope. Holy Spirit, come and move in this church in a mighty way, Lord. Help us to see in each one of us. Help us to see, as, as we move about our family, to see where we can help show your glory. God, give us missions. Help us to see how we can glorify you in our workplaces, at home, wherever it is, Lord. Help us to desire that and show us how to do it. Show us how we can glorify you in this place, in this building, with these people. Even today, Lord, make that our heartbeats, God. May we, may we desire you to be glorified in all that we do and say. Help us to not be uh, distracted by appearances, but help us to see you clearly and desire you and what you want for us, Lord. Lord, bless this time as we worship now. Bless the worship team and And I pray your Holy Spirit would come in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.